0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss the industry's passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Waheed, and I help businesses connect with top tech relapse talent. And today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Henry, the CTO of Peregrine Capital, Alex, Head of Science and Sustainability at Normative IO, Matthias, Head of Data at Team G-Cloud, and Daniel, Head of Computer Vision at SARV. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with a short introduction from everyone. Henry, would you like to kick us off?
1: Thanks for this. My name is Henry isaman I'm currently the CTO of and uh, Capital. Uh, I'm a technologist at heart, and I've spent most of my career in data science and analytics. Um, I used to love solving technical problems, but now focus more on, on managing technical teams and building out technical leadership thank you for that henry alex yes so
2: thank you so much for having me today yeah i'm alex i'm heading normative science sustainability and climate research team normative is a swedish um, carbon accounting engine with offices in copenhagen and london as well and in my role i mostly focus on our scientific integrity which of course also leads a lot into the realm of, of data science calculations and of course, scientific the aspects of uh, carbon accounting.
0: Thanks for that, Alex.
2: Matthias?
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Matthias. Uh, I studied data science uh, as a master's. And th- then I started working as a consultant. And I mostly work with the Google Cloud technologies and everything related to data in Google Cloud. Uh, I also worked as a freelancer for a short while. And recently, I joined the devil team. Uh, we have more than 10,000 employees in EMEA, and I'm leading the data team here in Sweden.
0: Amazing. Thanks for that, Mataj. And Daniel. Hello to you all.
4: Uh, it's uh, great to be here with you, and uh, thank you very much to Wahid for organizing everything. I'm Daniel, and I am the head of computer vision in the rainforest, which is SAP's internal startup to foster innovation. Uh, we're a small organization that was created two years ago to research into the latest trends and um, iterate over disruptive ideas so in the aerospace domain. So we are like a little startup in a large company. And instead of focusing on pure research, we try to do practical product development. So before that, I have been working in many, many years in the AI space from my first years in Spain as a consultant in different sectors uh, all over the world to the latest years where I have been more focused in startups and in topics like autonomous driving or deep learning. I'm glad to meet you all, and I hope you will enjoy the episode. Thank you for that, Daniel.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing
2: Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading-edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: Now we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have questions or statements on fostering innovation in data science leadership strategies for tech companies. As usual, I'll work around the room to asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. Henry, would you like to kick us off?
1: Yes, thanks, Wade. Um, the question I wanted to ask was, what is the most effective strategy that you've employed to increase innovation in your data science teams? Um, so for me, the main reason for asking this is just aligning to the theme um, of the day. So I was hoping to get some practical solutions rather than theoretic ones from, from the other bodies t- or team members um, to just find out what, what is it that they use or what, what practical can somebody else or some of the listeners use to increase innovation in their data science teams. So the, the thing I've employed in my teams in the past was to have a, a weekly meeting with all my data scientists um, where they come and, and share ideas. So there's always a presenter. Um, this has been very effective in uh, sort of sharing technical knowledge. Um, so I'm a firm believer that innovation comes from cross-pollinating different ideas and in different industries. Um, so what we found is um, as our team members sort of uh, this is quite a technical session, so so they sort of we get into the nitty gritty um, for them to see what what other teams do, and then we've seen in the past once uh, after these sessions, um, people deploy the, the the code they've seen um, into their own solutions. Um, so that's definitely been effective for us in, in increasing the data or the innovation in the different teams. But uh, it'll be interesting to learn from from the other other participants uh, what, what methods they're using.
2: I mean, I'm happy to to just uh, kick us off here from from the rest of the team. Um, from where I come from and also normative stands, maybe on a bit of a higher level, first first and foremost innovation for me lives off of ideas or like bring ideas to the table. So it's really important to have first and foremost a culture of what I would call like idea sharing. So we all have a bit our kind of North Star in place, like what are we solving it for? Normative is carbon accounting. We need to make sure we're we're developing better solutions and uh, better overviews, calculations, et cetera, to our clients. But then, of course, it's like how to get there, like don't tell people how to do it, but, but give them the right metrics and north star to align the vision on. But then encourage innovation, encourage you know bringing, bringing um, new solutions there. I think it's really inherent for us. I mean, carbon accounting, this whole field, not sure how familiar you are with it. It wasn't a thing, actually, when we were founded to begin with. So that's really interesting as a space itself, how it has evolved since our uh, um, normative being founded in 2014. So there was a lot of innovation inherent in that market, inherent in in the industry. And then, of course, it's been an incredible journey to where we are now. And our teams are constantly evolving, constantly adapting to new standards, new norms. And then developing kind of innovative solutions to bring, for example, new dashboards, new uh, scenario analyses, all these things to the customer. Um, and, of course, this lives also from the rich and diverse background of our engineers, of our people, all across the teams. So, also, ideas can come pretty much from anywhere in the organization that then will lead to an innovation in our, for example, data science or engineering teams and one of the means by which we facilitate this are also hackathons so we often come together in a year in again a diverse set of teams uh, or out of uh, ideas can come pilot studies with which we have quick turnarounds of new ideas in projects time bound and then it's being decided if it's going to be deployed more broadly in the platform or if it's just been a a one-off kind of trial
3: for me this is a very interesting question it has uh... Uh, two two different sides, and Henry, you pointed that you want more on the uh, practical sides. So I will not talk too much about the cultural aspects, how you can uh, foster uh, an innovative spirit in, in a sense, but more on what you can actually what you can actually do to to achieve it. And what I found is, as Alexander mentioned, hackathons are a great thing to do, uh, especially if you can get uh, cross-functional. Um, and and multidisciplinary people in the same room and and mix them together into different teams. So you don't have a data science team and the marketing team, but you have teams where someone from a data science background, someone from a marketing background, someone from maybe a finance background sit together and and they can interact and and come up with with new ideas and and solutions. I think that's one of the, the things that I see works really, really well. Uh, with our clients uh, when we facilitate these these hackathons and and these workshops, another interesting thing is to to send your data science team on different learning opportunities so 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 you have to invest in your data science team to learn new techniques, maybe some of them like uh, decision tree based models, some of them are really good with neural networks but it's it's really good to to send them somewhere to see new tools and and new um, uh, ways of working and new new methods and and models that they can apply in in their daily work i think everyone working in data science really appreciates new stuff and and cutting edge technologies so you know if you give them uh, this opportunity uh, i'm sure they will bring it back in house and start innovating with these with these new things and then the, the third uh, thing I wanted to mention is uh, sort of similar to this, but but organizing meetups if you can. So if you can build a, a community and then organize some meetups, either in-house or hosted at another location, or if you're a smaller company and you just want to join these meetups and go out and 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 share your, your findings, share your work. You know, maybe it's just your pet project, but it, it can be super interesting for others. And you can go to a meetup and you can talk to so many people and and get so many new ideas and see things that you, you would have not seen if you haven't gone to these meetups. So I think these are some of the some of the practical uh, suggestions that I have for, for this topic.
4: From my side, uh, I would say that uh, in the rainforest, we're... Proud of having a quite unconventional working culture. Uh, We take fostering innovation very seriously. And we, of course, organize events and give time to people to engage in toy projects, hackathons, or to extend their knowledge in whatever topic they they want, even if they are not immediately aligned to their current tasks. I think innovation is uh, all about balance. You need to give the the team the time and the context to take risks, because innovation is always a risk. You may invest a lot of time in research into something that may lead to nothing, because it's how it goes when you are dealing into new technologies that are not broadly adopted yet. And you have to be prepared for that. So you have to have to into consideration when you're establishing deadlines. Very tight deadlines may end up killing innovation, but if you go too free, Then you go to the other side and uh, the other side of the coin is that uh, the team needs to be aligned with the business goals. You don't want to spend endless years in a in never ending innovation that doesn't transform into a real product. And what I do to prevent that is to foster frequent meetings uh, between product and the technical team to make sure that they are aligned with the goals and they know how to self-organize and uh, choose the right topics and the right proofs of concept to develop to enhance the product and the business. In general, I consider that in order to address innovation into the right direction, the classical red line between business people and tech people needs to be vanished once for all, and tech people need to be more engaged into the business strategy.
3: Um, One thing that I would like to ask you guys regarding this question is, uh, what What do you think about uh, the competitive spirit? Um, I, I think it w- what I see is that when you have a competitive spirit in these hackathons or these these meetups, um, people have more ideas and can open up, but it can also uh, backfire if if you know some people would uh, do not appreciate this and are are like uh, they, they like to work more for themselves or they are less open, less extrovert. Uh, it it can backfire. Have you seen uh, any good examples? I I think in my case, I usually see a positive impact of a little bit of competition and uh, some competitive spirit. Um, I don't know what is your view on this. I
4: agree with you. Uh, When we organize hackathons and events, we try to spice things up a bit with a bit of competition, always from a health point of view. But I think that for it to work, it's vital that the team has a, a good relationship and if you have the proper culture and they like each other and they know each other and you uh, start with some games and make them open to themselves, probably a bit of competition is going to work better.
2: And ideally, this would be a line behind what I like label the North Star, like a common vision, you know, like what are we trying to achieve together? And then let's see who comes up with another solution to that uh, problem, for example. And uh, so, yeah, some kind of incentive to really, you know, dig your kind of ears into it and, 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 and probably also um, spend quite some time on this problem during the period of the hackathon, but then at the same time, not stifling ideas or innovation because of fear of, um, oh, what if this moonshot will fail, right? Rather encouraging moonshots or moonshot ideas because this might result in really, really good outcomes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of uh, this saying that this uh, competition is the greatest motivator. Um, so I definitely think a lot of competition sort of brings out the, the the competitive spin in everybody. Uh, I take the negative side; it can sort of spawn But I think for, for academics, typically what, what works well is, just, I mean, as Matthias mentioned, you have uh, cross-colonial teams. Uh, so people from, from different areas of the business. So uh, I think post the hackathon, uh, most of these people won't work together. So I think that, that I mean, in a way that's just great because I mean, you sort of leave it on the field if we can say it like that. So um, people sort of is uh, a bit aggressive and then competitive in the hackathon. And I think ultimately you get better results for it. Um, but then sort of there, there's now lingering uh, effect uh, sort of negative for us because I mean everybody then disperses back to their normal teams. So uh, I think the, the the upshot definitely outweighs the negative
0: effect. Thank you for that question, Henry. Um, Alex, can you tell me about your question and where where your where your question comes from?
2: Yeah, happy to. So my question is, which industries have shown an increasing interest in the application of innovative data science solutions in the past? I said now five years can, of course, be a bit longer or a bit shorter horizon. My um, interest in that question comes from, I mean, uh, back on academia, where I started really working very early on with, you can say, quote unquote, data science applications, had my own company in that realm, joined another, another consultancy, and now more of a software uh, company, obviously, uh, with, with normative. So. I've really seen different applications coming from different industries. And over time, I feel interest has evolved from data science being some nerdy niche thing that, you know, maybe some giants like Google, et cetera, will be engaging in, while it's not for the average company. And uh, this already leads to a bit of my my answer here. What what I've seen, um, interestingly, already during my PhD, my academia times, uh, the healthcare sector, for example, I've seen an increasing interest in the healthcare sector for, for example, um, prediction algorithms to really look into how can we predict, for example, based on a client's or on a patient's uh, characteristics, how long will the surgery uh, take? How can we optimize planning? How can we optimize room planning based on basic um, patient characteristics? And um, that's it. it sounds uh, detached from it, but actually, it it led to the other space where I see an increasing interest, which is the whole sphere of supply chain management. Um, whether you try to schedule optimally the um, the surgery times and operating rooms, or whether you try to optimize for a supply chain route. Uh, at the heart, it's, it's a similar problem of we have limited resources. How can we allocate them optimally over time to, of course, save costs, be more efficient, and or, of course, save lives? Um, and then, obviously, the third space that I've seen increasingly focus on data. And with that, of course, data science or has a data science need at the bottom of it is sustainability. That's obviously the the, the, the sphere, the, the the sector that I'm working in right now. But in sustainability, it's increasingly recognized that the whole um, new, I would say, data category of carbon data, of greenhouse gas emissions data, that hasn't been there before. So there's there's a real goldmine out there with, with data that has not been yet tapped into fully. And this, again, leads back to, for example, other functions like supply chain operations, where they now see the value of this data, but someone has to, of course, unlock the value that is in the data, so making sense of the data. So I think that's the red thread through all of them, like healthcare, supply chain, and sustainability, where we have data available, we just need to unlock the potential of the data. And I've seen these two industries really really ramping up in their interest and application of data science solutions. But I'll be very curious, obviously, from from the three of you to hear, what are the fields, sectors come to your mind?
1: Thanks, Alex. Exactly. I'm happy to jump in there. Um, yeah, I think, granted, I've got a strong bias in, in sort of based on my background in technology and finance. Uh, so I think the, the biggest uh, advances has been certainly in the technology uh, domain. Most of that's sort of sort of the technology or the machine learning or data science technologies come from. Um, and then especially in the finance industry, it's just a lot of money uh, sort of uh, very also concentrated in terms of, for the most markets, limited players um, with, with big wallets. So they've got surplus cash capital to spend. Um, so I think those have been the, the, the most progress of being there, uh, not necessarily the most exciting solutions, um, but I think they, they're far the most mature. Uh, but then I think to your point, uh, I think it's something positive for data science, it's, it's now sort of the level of maturity, all the, the sort of low hanging fruits have been plucked in the technology domain. So now it's definitely spilling over into other domains. Um, so from my own experience, what I've seen, uh, definitely a big uptick in, in HR solutions and in legal, um, sort of scanning legal documents uh, and giving answers. I mean, I think a lot of the machine learning tools are, and especially when you mentioned health as well, in my mind, the diagnostic medicine is an uh, excellent use case for, for any sort of machine learning type solution. I um, mean, all other doctors have very local knowledge, but I mean, it's limited value for them to have knowledge of diseases and things that they're sort of not local to them. So, I mean, this is not realistic to, then, to, to expect to them to, to pick things like that up whilst the machine doesn't have the sort of limitation. Um, one thing that I could share that, I mean, I attended a, a, a conference I had, had from a large cloud provider, and uh, one of the key use or flagship um, people that were talking there is a, a large dairy farmer in, in the Nordics. And uh, I was fascinated by that to just see an agricultural, see data science that evolved to agriculture. Uh, so they put IoT trackers on, on their cows and health monitors. Um, so, I mean, these are sort of good assets for them. And it's just, I mean, just moving away from the technology so they can track the cow's health. How much should they eat? If one is pregnant, is the uh, health up and down? So, I mean, I was fascinated. I mean, you always think of agriculture as, as a sort of a backward industry. Um, so I was really fascinated to see that uh, sort of these sort of tools and techniques has even spalled over to that. Um but yeah so differently outside of the the, the the typical industries that you expect now definitely think it has been going through and yeah, yeah
4: yeah it's a very interesting question uh i myself during my career have seen and experienced the disruption that the data science has created in many fields uh, as i mentioned in the introduction i started in consulting almost 10 years ago and i still remember how reluctant most of the clients were when you started talking about data science It was basically impossible to to do anything minimally advanced rather than in the most technologically advanced companies. The rest of them didn't even want to talk about it. And over the past five years, AI has completely transformed everything. Now it's the cool kid on the block and even the ones that are not doing AI want to brag about being doing AI. It's uh, making waves in all the industries. In healthcare, you were mentioning a few examples. It's absolutely used to deliver personalized medicine and treatments and Assuring that the patients get top-notch care. Banks and finance, that used to be a pretty reactive industry due to all the regulations and the privacy issues, are now using it every day for prop detection, for risk assessment. And that is great. And it's something that has an impact in our daily lives because now someone can steal your credit card and the bank will notice very soon that it's not you who is buying this very weird stuff on the other side of the world. And uh, that's only a few examples. You, you see AI everywhere. And, uh, in retail for personalized recommendations that are much better than the traditional massive spam of random products that we used to suffer 10 years ago. Or in energy for balancing better than the powers, in you know, order to predict the forecasting ahead of time. Manufacturers use it for predicting maintenance. I used to work a bit on that and it's amazing how much money and time you can save by automating your production lines and using deep learning to predict malfunctions and effects. I don't think there is, I think we will finish earlier if we started quoting the industries that don't use AI because it's really transformative. It's not just a technical transfer uh, for code or identify bugs or in general work faster. And, uh, So yeah, not even us programmers are safe from the AI transformation. I would say that uh, data science in the latest first years has really changed our lives and uh, they have made them safer and definitely much more interesting. And that also comes with a a risk. So now, more than ever, we need to keep vigilant because with the widespread of AI and the different use cases, uh, the potential damage also has increased exponentially. But I think that we as a community really have the means and the attitude to keep that from happening. And I'm really glad to see where the VA space is going.
2: Yeah, I no, completely agree. So thanks all three of you for, for sharing your, your view there. Um, to your last point in terms of uh, security and, and also uh, Henry, I think you mentioned uh, legal as one of the entities, or one of the departments uh, with increasing interest in the whole um, sphere of data science i recall my i think it was actually our very first big assignment with them with my own company where we were um, consulting a legal entity and they used demographics data to try to predict um you can just say um legal dispute costs uh, in a certain areas based on demographics of that area etc cetera, etc cetera. so some details there but I still recall, and so it was very, I would say, early days for that company for sure to to analyze the data at all, to do anything with this data that was sitting just around there before, and and uh, I mean, unbelievable, but 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 given there was legality the that they kind of gave me all the access rights to kind of all the you know infrastructure that they had. Of course, we had all the agreements in place to to kind of make that prevent that that that, that from or that being within legal boundaries, obviously. But, but still I think now it's unthinkable that 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 you would just let a small provider give you all the access with any kind of proper barriers and checks there. but me actually sitting there you know with root access at the office of that of that kind of uh, head of that entity um was at that time normal was at that time something you know the had to just, just just try out and, and and let's give it a shot. But I think now data science and the recognition of um, the importance of data and also the power, what you can do with these algorithms has li- has led to a change in how it's also being administered uh, in, in organizations. And it's it's definitely now a top level of top-level interest to get this uh, the proper strategy behind that.
4: I think that in many fields where traditionally the use of AI has been discarded due to legal or security or data protection, uh data protection reasons. Even those are now finally changing their attitude and I think that is basically due to the boom of um, generative AI. I have been involved in several projects for creating synthetic data uh, for use cases in bank and finance to avoid using real client data because due to regulations or data protection rules it was uh, impossible to apply. So even then the the possibility of not only using AI to predict, but to even to generate the data set itself, I think it's a game changer in all these regulated industries where data protection is a must.
3: Yes, uh, guys, you basically said almost all industries uh, already before me, I have uh, written down three and you only said one actually. So I'm going to say the other two, of course, uh, car manufacturers. So if you think about uh, car manufacturing, not not necessarily just self driving cars but even cars that don't drive themselves now are using a lot of ai uh, probably most of you heard of the new mercedes that can um, project uh, some sort of light on the road in front of you when it thinks that you you are going into a a tight space that you might not necessarily fit so it projects a light in front of you that is exactly the size of the car so you can you can see and 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 all of these applications are powered by by ai, which which goes back to to your point of making our life uh, safer. and uh, the other industry that we deal a lot with here at, at Devil Team is gaming. so we we have a lot of uh, companies in the gaming industry as our customers. and they are heavily using AI for for a multitude of of different things. Um, uh, yeah, and actually, the third thing on my list was agriculture. so I, I can just Reiterate what you guys said. I, I really agree that agriculture—it might be surprising—but I think it's like ahead of the game. So I think agriculture is is uh, adopting AI and 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 machine learning maybe at a more rapid pace than what I see in 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 IT industries. So they have uh, these uh, these drones that you know, spray exactly where the, the weed is instead of where the, the food is or the crop that they want to protect is. And they do all sorts of, of things that um, I think we don't even think about and you don't really hear about it because it's kind of a boring industry. But uh, yeah, I think they're they're really ahead of the game. Um, I don't know if you are up for a question, Wahid. How much do you use AI in, in your industry? Because we haven't uh, spoken about that.
0: To be honest, we are trying to use AI, um, which is I haven't got budget approved. <laughs> but no, um, I do think that I, I agree with you. And to be honest, that was one of my questions I was going to put for everyone. I've been working with a lot of sort of um, companies and clients that I've been speaking to, uh, and they all say that they need AI, but they don't know what they need how do you guys tell them what they need or how do you yeah how do you tell them what they need because the, the ai or sort of data science to a lot of people is still alien um so yeah how do you communicate this
4: yeah that's a classical one
0: i remember when i first
4: took my first data science course many many years ago this uh, the first quote of the course was like data science is 33% math 33% software engineering and 33% uh, uh, business knowledge. People tend to forget about the last 33%. You can know all the AI in the world, but if you don't know what your customer's business is about, you're not gonna know how to answer that question. I don't know how to answer that question if you come with a random customer right now. I need to know what they are doing. So yeah, that's... That curiosity is what drives uh, the best data scientists to really propose the best solutions for their customers. Without customer knowledge, all the AI knowledge in the world is useless.
3: Uh, For me, that's a really interesting question because that's, uh, of course, a very frequent uh, thing that I also see in in our industry. A lot of customers come to us as trusted advisors and they're like, I heard about this. I heard machine learning. Recently, I heard generative AI, large language models, uh, those kind of things. You know what do I do with this technology? And uh, you can see uh, repeating patterns within industries so you can relate to to what other people are doing in the industries. Uh, so that's one one way I think to to tackle is to look around and and see what your competitors uh, are are doing and other people in your situation are doing. If you're a big enough company, you can break down your functions. you can say, what can I achieve within my finance department with machine learning? What can I achieve within my marketing department? What can I achieve within my HR department? And then look around on specific use cases there. So that also kind of um, repeatable. So a lot of finance departments can use machine learning in the same way. And if you really want to discover something uh, that's unique to you and, and your specific uh, industry or or company, then you need to, to do a, a workshop or an ideation Uh, brainstorming something where where you come instead of coming with okay here is AI what can I do is what are my biggest challenges where can I see uh, potential uh, saving or or what is something that I do every time that I hate doing Uh, or, or how could I save time for for my employees and then ask the question can machine learning solve this problem for me can AI help me out here Uh, can i do something with data science and and there are frameworks for for how to do this um, developed by different companies google has one uh, that comes from academia of course and like all sorts of things and and we we help facilitate these uh, sort of workshops as well and i think it's very creative and again if you have multidisciplinary uh, people attending these workshops or ideations then it's always a great uh, great result at the end
1: yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with that and I'm with us. I think they both gave sort of good answers. Uh, I sort of just summarise it to say uh, you shouldn't let the tail wag the dog. Um, so don't, don't just use AI machine learning just because you want to use it. Um, so I mean, let, let your business priorities dictate. Um, if, 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 if there's more important things to do, then do that. Um, if, if one of your solutions, I mean, to my point, if the competitor has something that, that they're doing that's working for them, by all means, uh, replicate that. But um, yeah, for me I, I think there's been a lot of uh, money wasted in terms of some exact sort of at the coffee party learning or, or speaking to somebody else, oh they do machine learning I mean that that buzzword changes just every five years. I mean, a couple of years ago it was big data and then it's maybe machine learning and now we've taught everybody not to use AI, but I mean I think we've lost that battle. AI is now sort of front and center for everybody. So at least it's big and nebulous. So you can just say AI, AI. But yeah, I don't think you feel you should feel obligated to, to use AI. But I mean, I think sort of the the counterpoint to that is, um, if you look at the sort of LLMs now, I mean, they're very generic, so you can just sort of speak to them. So in my mind, um, the, the sort of LLM as leading ones are an excellent sort of advisor. I mean, they they sort of know 80% of everything, so just almost like a, a humanoid thing that's sitting on top of uh, a search engine like Google. So, um yeah, I mean, anybody can use that. I mean, whatever you do in your day, you can ask something like ChatGPT or some other LLM. Uh, Am I doing this? Is it right or wrong? So, I think they the challenge is to sort of just change your mind and then your process because I mean you're quite comfortable with the stuff that you're already doing but I mean is that the right stuff is, is there a way to do so I mean yes you can do your own larger scale data science machine learning projects but I think that's sort of far further down the line like to, to your point where um, you said your budget hasn't been approved but um yeah so this there, is I think limited financial hurdles uh, in, in just sort of opening a browser and start asking some questions so uh, yeah don't do that. Stop you but yeah i mean for me the the core message for me there is just a standard detail like a dog deploy machine learning and AI. just uh, you can sort of check some sort of box if if, it, if you have solutions that that uh so those tools are good uh, solutions for But all means to deploy that but yeah don't feel obligated to just doing it for the sake of doing it
2: and there's just in closing Brings me to this point about education, I think that's super important. People hear those, as you said, Henry, uh, these, these buzzwords, and they're like, oh, yeah, sure, we need to do AI. Well, do you really? Maybe you don't, actually. Maybe you what you're looking for can be solved with a very simple algorithm that has nothing to do with actually machine learning. or Maybe you can actually tie it back to machine learning because any kind of like linear, linear regression can ultimately morph into a machine learning "quote unquote" thing, and so you can still sell it to your superiors as, oh yeah, sure, this is machine learning. Well, in essence, you just do kind of like OS and then a bit of things on the side. But I think education is important and make make sure that you find the right tool for a problem and don't just throw any kind of algorithm, uh, worst case, a black box algorithm, at some uh, some problem. No one knows what comes out, but out comes the numbers, so probably we should do something with that number. But, um, yeah, that's uh, my take on it.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, Matthias, can you tell me a little bit about your question and where it comes from? Uh,
3: Right, so my question is, what metrics do you track to measure the success and impact of innovation in your data science projects, and how do you ensure these align with broader business goals? So uh, we, we talked a bit about uh, a similar topic in the first question, like what is the most effective strategy uh, to, to foster innovation uh, within your data science teams. But uh, to, to know what is the most effective strategy that you use, you somehow have to track and define uh, effectiveness or you have to define um, innovative spirit or, or the result of these innovations. And, of course, there are uh, two different things uh, that you can talk about. One is you are in an organization that uh, does some research for research's sake, right, where you actually don't know the outcome and you don't know what uh, the outcome will be useful for. You just hope to stumble upon something useful um, uh, in, in the process. Uh, and that's that's completely fine and uh, that's that's one thing but most of us sit in a, in a completely different world where we have uh, someone from the business uh, behind our our back and you can hear him uh, you know breathe into your ears every time you you waste some money on something that's not really useful so uh, in in that sense you you have to be able to somehow prove that the budget that you got approved uh, or you have uh, m- more often you have to apply for a budget and then, uh, you know, before uh, say why this is going to be uh, something useful or why should we spend money on this. So that's kind of the, the context for my question. Um, yeah. If you have any any project, you want to track whether it's a success. And one important uh, aspect of this also is that you you want to track whether something is successful or not because you're going to have biases after the project is finished. So if you if you develop a, a machine learning model or you do some data science exploration and then you have a model um, and then you get some results and the results are not stellar, but they're not terrible either. Is that a success? Is that not a success? And then you will have the bias of, oh, I already spent this much money and this much time on it. So so let's keep using it. Let's put it into production. Let's uh, invest more into, into this... Uh, mm, You know not not necessarily great um, result so that uh, uh, leans into the answer that you have to uh, set some success metrics before you start the project you have to have a baseline you set the baseline like how does a human do this or what is our current solution Uh, what would be a naive solution what if i'm making a prediction model to to predict something for the next day and let's just say that I predict what happened today will happen tomorrow. I think for weather forecast, this is more often than not really accurate, <laughs> surprisingly accurate, right? Your model has to be more accurate than that. Uh, and and so, so this is, I think, that the baseline of, of, of a human or a baseline of a very naive uh, prediction is always a good uh, metric to, to track. And then aligning this with the, the broader business goals, um, it, it, of course, very much depends on the size of the organization. For for smaller organizations, you, startups, you kind of, all have this buzz and, and everything is uh, always changing, but you have this zeitgeist inside the company and you kind of understand where you want to go and where the company is going. So so it's much easier to align with the, the business goals. For, for, for bigger organizations, there is, uh, for example, Telefonica in, uh, in uh, Spain. They have uh, developed this uh, lean elephant model that they use, uh, which kind of takes this lean startup uh, model and applies it to a huge... Uh, telco company, uh, and, and that's how they approach this uh, to align with the business goals. They have a, a whole department that uh, tries to tie uh, innovation projects together, and then they do a lot of techniques like look back at the business value that the project generated after a year and, and make sure that uh, they, they they select teams and ideas that they think that aligns with the business goals. So you, you a- apply for, for your um, project and then someone else who has a more vision on the, the, the business and strategy, and then decides who, who can continue their their uh, research project. So that's uh, that's my take. Of course, there are a lot to be said, so I'm really curious what you guys think.
1: Yeah, thanks Matthias. Um, yeah, I think for us, the, the North Star is uh, very much the, the end part of your question, the, the broader business call. So um, we always focus on, on that. Uh, are we delivering to the business? Um, so sort of what metrics is important to the business. So, so, we align our stuff to, to that to make sure that, I mean, uh, uh, if once, if we deliver our projects, do we deliver to the business? So, yeah, I think it's very easy, especially as it's, it's technologists, to sort of get tunnel vision. Uh, you, you're very excited about the new tool, the new algo. You, you, you feel you need to do that. And, I mean, you're very proud because uh, you've optimized it from A to B and it's not really humming and working well. I mean, you, you've put a lot of effort and you're really proud. But, I mean, ultimately, if that doesn't deliver to the business, uh, it's, it's, it's pointless. Um, so I think it's just there's always something that we keep to sort of put front and center. I mean, if we deliver this thing, what does it mean for the business? Do um, they just some sort of low level Business type of uh, metrics that we use there is just um, how many projects that we deliver. Um, obviously, to deliver the right ones, um, are we sort of delivering to newer areas in the business? Is, is they sort of, I mean, yes, obviously, the the, the the main metric there is the, the, the prioritized projects, that's sort of the most important. But then, sort of secondary uh, aspects is um, the number of, sort of projects delivered, uh, the number of features delivered for each team. Um, so yeah, those sort of things help us to see where do we have some sort of high velocity and then in other areas where we are lacking. Um and then sort of the, the secondary stuff that we're looking at is for the more technical um type of metrics. Um won't have to them. Uh, but this also made me think about that sort of the the, the restaurant explorer idea. Um so if you want to have dinner tonight, um, where do you go? Do you sort of stick to your favorites that you know? Um I mean, that's that's great because we know what you're going to get. Or, I mean, potentially there's this best restaurant just next door and you've never tried it. Um, And then obviously if if you just stick to your favourites, you lose out on that. So obviously your best strategy is to sort of uh, try some new ones from time to time. Uh, but then obviously just understanding that you'll have some duds uh, and then sort of have an unpleasant meal. Um, So I think that sort of comes down to that um, sort of the explore versus exploit equation. Um, So you have to sort of explore new ones from time to time, but then also exploit the ones that you do know that it works well. Um, But yes, I think it's always difficult to get that much. uh, the racial right, uh, obviously different for different industries. Um, but so sort of that, that's sort of, and, and the tech wise, what we try to do is say, use some tools that we know work, um, the, the teams that work, they're comfortable with us. Um, But there's always new tools and technologies coming out. And if we don't explore them, uh, we'll work better ourselves. But sort of understanding sort of from a management business point of view, uh, some of that money will go into the bin. Uh, You'll just sort of try some stuff and uh, explore some things and then, yeah, they they won't work out. Um, So obviously, not. not, I think initially all the the business people are excited and happy about that. But I mean, uh, obviously, after the seventh project failed, that that sort of uh, attitude changes a bit. Uh, but yeah, I think I yeah, just sort of knowing that upfront that uh, the success rate is going to be quite low um, and then sort of just capping the, the, the time and the, the whatever resources to whatever percentage makes sense for you, let's say 10% or 20%, um, which I think is definitely important to have those sort of explore options as well. Uh, sort of good motivation for the team members to sort of, they always, I mean, they're they working on the, the big broading project, which is great, it delivers value. Um, but then they also sort of, they, they want that technology to be scratched. Um, so, so giving them sort of smaller projects with new fantastic tools and technologies uh, keeps them excited and motivated. So yeah, that, that works well for us.
4: Yeah, for me, when it comes to um, uh, to actionable metrics that you can track to measure the success and impact of innovation, uh, it uh, it is true that, as you mentioned, it ties a bit with the first question. Uh, when we were talking about not wasting time and not having those business marks looking over your shoulder to make sure that you make good use of the budget, uh, it is important to engage your developers into the business goals. It's, um, I really think that uh, to become a senior developer goes un- unavoidably by getting business knowledge of your company, not only about acquiring the widest technical skills, but it's called these uh, T-shaped profiles with a lot of depth in a specific area, but it's still a horizontal line on the rest of them. And, um, I think that uh, that is one of the most important things to make sure that innovation goes in the right direction. Uh, our organization, the Rainforest, is basically structured according to all the, the lean startup and many other business best sellers and similar. So we believe in speed, uh, quick iterations and uh, business orientation and going to the market as soon as possible. because. At the end of the day, we don't want to spend years doing research to end up putting it into a drawer because someone decides that it's not aligned to the business or even worse to build a whole project just to realize that what we thought it was going to be a bestseller ends up not selling a single unit because uh, even the best marketing expert in the world makes mistakes. and it's uh, You need to test your assumptions. That's what I'm trying to say. So instead of doing a classical waterfall development and releasing the product in three years, it's important to release a, a limited version of your innovative product the quickest possible. Even if you don't have a, a version, which you probably won't have in months, at least release a beta. release something that the user can provide feedback on, and then work together with the user to shape your product. because you will probably realize that your assumptions are not 100% true about what the customer wants. It always goes that way. So, yeah, there are many metrics that you can follow to make sure that the innovation is happening. But there are not so many to make sure that it's happening in the right direction. And that is only told by the customer. So I would say short iteration cycles, a lot of demos, engaging customers in the development, and get into the market the quickest possible only then you will be able to do the a b testing on real customers which is what is going to give you the final answer and the sooner that you do it the best because uh, investors and stakeholders tend to have a short patience so yeah sometimes you need to rush
2: and i think this comes back to this idea i think that that you has mentioned before about benchmarking so it can of course be a benchmark as to Traditional, you know, forecasting example. What's a predictor? What have you? But of course, benchmarking or like it, it can also be linked, to, be linked to a customer, right? Like, like what? How does the customer currently solve the problem? Uh, what is their quote-unquote the benchmark? So pretty much like the status quo that they are used to right now, and what will be an improved experience? That's often first the case where the data science piece comes in. Where we talk about customer experiences and um, for example, where do they spend, where do they still spend a lot of time in analyzing stuff, in gathering data, in maybe internally cleaning up data. So what's the current status quo and what would an improvement look like? Again, Henry, your point about clear metrics and outcomes as to what does success look like. Uh, and then, yeah, I totally agree with you. Shorter turnarounds. PUCs or like some MVPs first before it goes actually into into um, of course into production anyways but but also before it actually eats up more time and resources so rather than kill them quickly these little downings that you might have but uh, make sure that you move
0: in the right direction. Thank you for that uh, and finally Daniel uh, can you tell me a little bit about your question and where your, que- where your question comes from? Yes of course my question is how do you leverage fast innovation versus security and reliability
4: when it comes to the latest trends of data science? And uh, the reason that I ask this is that I think that balancing innovation and security is crucial now more than ever with the growing usage of AI in all kinds of applications, but especially in safety-critical ones. We have a bunch of ideas here in the rainforest about how to apply it since our business is autonomous airborne vehicles. Uh, But uh, I would like to hear yours, uh, too, and see if we can learn from each other. Talking about our example a bit, one of the strategies that we have adopted is uh, an obsessive focus on agile methodologies and DevOps practices. In iterative developments uh, with frequent releases, the probability of unexpected behaviors minimizes. Even more, if you have a solid network of automated tests and simulation that can detect and stop unexpected behaviors. So... Is following this kind of a strategy that other companies that are also in the, in the business of autonomous vehicles, like Tesla, has, have come to a point where they can do production releases every day, basically, with absolute certainty that it's not going to be a catastrophe. Another important focus is also to enforce the right culture and bring only the right people into the team. Uh, when it comes to my colleagues... I expect them to be open, direct, and uh, speak their mind up whenever they want more information or want to question my work or discuss my ideas or implementations. And I do the same for them. On the same way, I would never compromise with a partial or untested solution, especially on a life-critical feature. No matter if there is stakeholder pressure or uh, a tight deadline. I think we have a kind of a problem of how software engineering is conceived because no one would expect a surgeon to leave a surgery in the middle just because there is a little or because he ran out of budget. If you ask about uh, if you ask two people about uh, what are the professions that carry the largest responsibility, well, people usually talk about doctors, talk about architects. No one wants to design a house that later falls over a family, obviously. And so, our engineering is seen as a, a profession that, well, it's not so important. And I think we have to change that conception because, yeah, back on the early days, maybe if you introduce a bug in production, the application may froze, you may lose a couple of customers or purchase, which is already pretty bad because after all, it's people's time and money, what we're talking about. But nowadays, it's far worse because the impact of that same bug can be an autonomous car crashing or a credit system denying a person a credit based on biases or racial factors or whatever. Things can go wrong very easily with AI in the, in the Internet of Things time. So for that, I really think we have to increase quality in our daily work and we have to push forward for a cultural change on how software developers are seen and trained. We have to put our professional prestige first and we have to start to stop taking quick decisions and focus more on quality and i think it has to come from us as a community to push the mentality forward because no one else is going to do it
1: yeah for me this is mostly driven by what problem are you solving um, so I'm thinking of if I'm building a recommender system that tells you whether you should buy red or green socks, uh, then that's that's fine. I mean I can then sort of sacrifice reliability for speed. So I mean if my system goes down, it's just not a big deal. The whole system still works, my small recommender is not functioning. Um, but yeah, that, that that's less important. But I mean if you do something like Daniel, um where you build critical control systems, uh, if there's a failure there, I um, mean, that's disastrous. So there, under the circumstances, can you sort of cut the corners in security or liability? Um, yeah, so I think that sort of means that the main driver there, uh, what is the use case? So, so I think that sort of dictates to large part uh, sort of the sort of spend the time um, or can you sort of cut the corners and sort of push the more NXP uh, version out. Um, but yeah, interesting to hear So, from the other yeah
2: i mean that's pretty much also how we approach it we we do often work with very sensitive client data you can imagine financial data so the entire books for an entire year so there of course we're very careful with any uh, let's just move fast and break things approach but really really our uh, security is always always first whereas other steps uh, that might be a bit more about improving internal processes for example you know data cleaning what have you There, of course, you can be, because it's all fairly contained, there, of course, you can move a bit faster. You can try out new things in a kind of small, maybe almost sandbox environment, and then deploy it later on, um, broader, after you've done enough testing. But I completely agree. Um, I think it's all about sensitivity of data and the use case, Um, kind of is mission critical for more infrastructure or not and then you can decide on it i mean for us another aspect to bring out of the realm of data is also then for example um in the realm of sustainability um greenwashing so we for example if we apply some novel i mean we don't do this but just just hypothetically you know some novel approach of calculating a certain emission profile but then there's something wrong with the science underlying it this is just not quote unquote the right way to calculate it and then companies go out and make bold claims based on this data. And the later they are being accused of greenwashing because the data was just wrong. And it was wrong because there has been a unproven method being used to come up with this footprint, this current footprint in that sense. That's, of course, a whole different kind of risk in terms of reputational risk, brand risk, etc. So we also need to keep that in mind. It's not just about the immediate impact of a system, you know, having downtime, what have you. <laughs> It might also be about what is, how is data being used, what how is data being interpreted later on, and have we taken the necessary due diligence to make sure it's all, you know, transparent, explainable, and uh, not being misunderstood or misused.
3: So I think in in this case there are two. When it comes to security, uh, there are two uh, main areas. One is security of the underlying data. So you have to secure the underlying data that you use for your data science projects. And I think that's a a somewhat well understood uh, problem how to secure data, although with the new generative AI models, it seems like uh, it's not that easy because the training data can show up in the in the predictions. So there have been uh, different hacks or uh, different uh, models started spitting back the the training data so of course you you don't want that to happen and and then it's it's again uh, an issue and that's something that's really cutting edge so there is ongoing research on this and no one really knows the the perfect answer to this question and then the other one is the security of the the resulting uh, data or the resulting uh, predictions that you make and that's also a very interesting question and it's not necessarily just uh, uh, a technical question it is also what we want to do with the world or with our lives it's a more theoretical uh, question for example when it comes to autonomous uh, driving um, yes uh, an autonomous uh, car might hit uh, a pedestrian but if it hits a pedestrian less often than human drivers then by adopting uh, uh, autonomous uh, cars you still save lives, although yes, you take some other lives, so it turns into a trolley problem instead of a technical problem. <clears throat> and that's also very, very interesting. Um, I, I feel that uh, in, in the uh, machine learning, AI, data science space, um, safety uh, it feels like a, an afterthought uh, even today, uh, to some extent. I think we focus a lot more on innovation than on, on safety and reliability. and um, it is because everyone is chasing the, the next thing and that's where the money is, the safety is not where really the, the money is. So that I, I think uh, the, the regulations uh, like what uh, the EU is trying to do uh, has to, to lead the way because safety will not always be a good, we uh, will not be incentivized otherwise in the market. Uh, that's that's a very important Aspect. It's not really a technical answer, unfortunately. I'm not really uh, optimistic on on this front uh, just yet. I want to see uh, more move towards uh, safety and and uh, reliability when it comes to to data science projects. Um, but but, ne- but definitely there are a lot of things happening in this space. Uh, very interesting uh, things happening uh, when it comes to reliability and and, and safety. Uh, so just um, my, my my suggestion is to to hire. Uh, really senior people and don't let uh, frustration get out of hands so i understand that uh, people uh, choose uh, data science as a career because they want to work with cutting edge technology and they want to move fast and they want to to break things and innovate and and all that but i think a really senior approach uh, a more calm uh, approach and and you know a, a clear a cold uh, level headed approach to, to data science project is, is very important if you want to high security and, and reliability. Um, yeah. don't uh, uh, d- don't uh, uh, discount uh, the the importance of uh, seniority in a in a data science team.
0: Perfect perfect. thank you everyone um before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. once again, our guests on today's podcast have been, Henry, CTO of Peregrine Capital, Alex, Head of Science Sustainability at Novative I.O., Matthias, Head of Data at Devoteam G Cloud, and Daniel, Head of Computer Vision at SARP. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Waheed, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email at waheed.nijimi at evolution-nordits.com. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Waheed, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email at waheed.najimi at evolution Or visit us at evolution.com forward slash se. Thanks again to all our guests, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.